Let me just start from this, this, maybe try to set this framework. And I think this is important because it is a trying time we're in right now in the United States of America. And I think it's always, when you think about the challenge we face with, with our financial situation, our debt situation, and a whole host of other issues, international and what we're having to deal with in foreign policy, the terrorist threat, et cetera, if you think about it too much, you can get depressed. But what you need to do is remember it's still the greatest nation in history. And I've had a couple of experiences just in the last six weeks, seven weeks, where uh, I was reminded of what a great country it is. The first was back when we had our Republican Study Committee retreat, uh, conservative members retreat with the Heritage Foundation out at the Reagan Library. And if you've not been there, you should go. It's the first time my, my wife and I, Polly and I, had been there. And it was something special. It was actually a week before uh, they had the celebration with, uh, of what would have been Ronald Reagan's 100th birthday. And uh, they had this new exhibit. And you literally went through the library and through this new exhibit, and you got emotional in every single room. And you, we forget sometimes what a great man Ronald Reagan was and what he did at the time and point in history where he came along and what America faced at that time. Uh, I, the, the one room, I, of course, they went through his whole life, and you were impressed by all the things in the, his time in, in, in Hollywood and everything else. But when he was president, we forget how tough it was then. They showed the gas lines. You know, some of the young folks don't remember, but I remember I was in high school. You got gas every other day. Cars down around the street, around the block, waiting to get, I mean, and just, just the, you know, the inflation rate, the unemployment rate, all the things Reagan had to do. They had one room on foreign policy. Uh, they had all the bad guys' pictures on the wall. And you had all the, the, the folks, I mean, literally, from the Eastern Bloc countries, the, Soviet, the, the head of the Soviet Union, uh, they had Ortega on the wall. Um, some things never changed. They had a picture of Gaddafi on the wall. Uh, so, uh, but, but we forget how serious it was. And we were reminded that here came a, a leader with the optimism and the belief in the American people and turned things around. And I'm convinced we can do the same thing. Uh, the, the second experience, uh, again, just, just I think to remind us of what a great country it is, uh, happened to me just a few weeks ago. I happened to go up to Philadelphia. The NCAA wrestling tournament was, was in Philadelphia. In between sessions, um, our two youngest children and Polly and I, we went to Independence Hall. And when you go, I don't know if you've ever been there, but if you haven't, go to that place too. First thing, you walk in, it's small. Uh, you, it's a small room. But when you're in the room and you think about what took place in that room, where the founders actually put together the document that started this, uh, this grand experiment in liberty we call America. You, you, you picture where Jefferson sat and where Adams sat and where Franklin was, and, and you think about what took place there. And that what these guys put on the line to start a place that, that really mattered and that honored freedom and liberty, uh, again, the greatest country ever. So I think it's good to keep that perspective because we face some tough times right now. Uh, and, and, I, and I think it's important to understand that the world's a better place, and this is what I think what the left typically misses. The world's a safer place when America leads. And America can't lead militarily and diplomatically if America doesn't lead economically. And you can't lead economically when you have the wrong regulatory policy, the wrong tax policy, the wrong energy policy, and a debt that's $14 trillion in climbing. And that's what we face. And, the, and, and RSC is all about trying to address all four of those issues, just like the Republican Party is. And I'll just talk about a couple here in particular that I'm, I'm probably more directly involved in. One is the regulatory issue, the committee I happen to be a part of, Daryl's committee, uh, actually the subcommittee I get the privilege of chairing. Our whole focus is regulation uh, and, and trying to reduce the regulatory burden on the job creators and, and so we can get economic growth in this country. And we've had a couple hearings. One, one that I would just want, I think, captured what's wrong out there. Uh, this was actually a full committee hearing. Daryl will remember this. 
We had one of these, these great uh, uh, members of the freshman class ask a, a great question. We had on the panel was um, five small business owners from around the country. One of them happened to be from our district, Jack Busher, Busher Electric, Minster, Ohio, been a great supporter of mine for years. A wonderful guy, typical small town successful business guy. Started his business 25 years ago, the leader of his town, you know, does helps the Little League, helps the United Way, does it just like all business folks do in, in small towns. Very successful. Well, the whole panel was like that. And we got near the end of the hearing, and Frank Ginta from New Hampshire uh, asked what I thought was the best question of the hearing. He said to these business owners, he said, if you knew then what you know now, would you have started? If you knew back then all the baloney and all the goofy things government was going to make you do, would you have started your business? Every single one of them said, wouldn't have done it. Every single one. Now that is a sad commentary on the greatest country in history, that you have successful guys, entrepreneurs, who put it on the line, who started a business, who took a risk, who took out the loan, did everything they did, and successful people now, leaders in their community said, I wouldn't do it because government's too big. I got two buddies of mine who are in manufacturing, and a uh, uh, successful guy, they got a manufacturing facility in Sydney, Ohio, Wapakoneta, Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, and I was meeting them a couple years ago, and they, uh, Mike, the one who's more aggressive than Bruce, Mike said to me, he said, Jim, I love being in business, I hate being an employer. And the reason I hate being an employer is because all this stuff you guys make us do. Pointed right at me, typical way, Mike, Mike. That's the problem. So we have got to, we have got to address, because this is an impediment to job creation, as you all know, an impediment to economic growth, and we've got to deal with it, just like we do with taxation, just like we've got to have a, uh, an energy policy that makes sense, and frankly, just like we have to deal with the spending situation, which is where we spend most of our time at RSC here this year, because it's, it's just the issue. Every single day, all we talk about here in Congress is, is spending and how out of control it is. We will actually, later today, just as an aside, we will unveil our Republican Study Committee budget. We do this, I think, just about every year. I did it last year as our Budget Task Force Chairman. We will do that again today, building on the great work Paul Ryan has done in his budget, but getting to balance. We actually get to balance um, within the budget window, within the 10-year window. We think that's critical when you're thinking about how serious it is. Just without going through all the numbers, $14 trillion in debt, $1.6 trillion deficit this year, the month of February, shortest month in the year, $220 billion for one month, and, and Harry Reid and Chuck Schumer are saying to save $61 billion in, a, in, a, in, a, in the budget bill for this year is extreme. It's, it's, it's approximately one-fourth of February's monthly deficit. So this is how serious it is, and, and, and frankly, the, the other party just doesn't get it, so we're going we're gonna to continue to fight on that, that issue as well. Let me just finish with this. Uh, and then I'll take your questions. Read the column Tony Blankley wrote December 20th, 2010, and, and it was in the Washington Times. In fact, I had breakfast with Tony last Friday, and I told him I've been quoting you in every speech I've been given. It's a great column, and it captures what Ronald Reagan understood about the country. Uh, the, the, the column is titled The American Miracle, and Blankley walks us through what took place in this country in the last two and a half years. And he goes back to 2009, and he says this. He says, in early 2009, everybody was scared. Everyone in the country was nervous. I mean, our 401ks had gone down, the value of our homes had gone down, many friends and family members had lost their job, the greatest corporation in American history, General Motors, was going bankrupt. Everybody was nervous, and frankly, it was appropriately so. Um, along comes the new president, popular, most popular elected official in the world, gets sworn in, and he, and he promises what politicians always promise, more government. And then he says, then the American miracle took place. Somewhere in that spring and summer when things started to happen and we saw what was going on, and, I, and I'll never forget this one day. Remember the day, I mean, remember the day when the President of the United States stood at the podium, this was in the midst of the auto bailouts, stood at the podium and ridiculed the bondholders at Chrysler. 
Remember that day? I said, you guys take the deal. I, and I, I just happened to be watching in my office, on the, watching Fox or something, and I saw it and I was like, this is a sad day for the country. When the President of the United States is ridiculing the secu secured creditors, the first in line, and in essence saying, forget about property rights, forget about contract law, forget about the rule of law, ridiculing the... So when all this started to happen, Blakely makes the point, he said, something changed. And he said, the American miracle took place, and the American people said, we will embrace freedom and not more protection from, as, as he says in the column, the wing of the state. And he makes the point, no other people on the planet would have made that decision, only in America. And I think it's true. I think the, in my time in elective uh, office, I have, I've never seen the American people more ready, more receptive for the tough love things that need to be done to fix the place. They're ready. They, they are ready for it. The question is, are the politicians? Will the political class live up to the standard the American people have displayed over the last two years? And I think we will, and I think it's mostly driven by the freshmen who are in this room and the, and the other 70s, 80s, we've got five in the room, the other 82. Uh, they're, they're, they're a, a key driving force in making sure we fix it. So I just want to thank you all for being involved, for the, the impact you have on the process. I learned a long time ago, good things don't just happen. If you want to accomplish anything of meaning or significance, you got to get off the sideline, you got to get in the game, and you got to take a risk. And um, how many of you have ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? I will stop here. This is the last one. You ever seen that movie? <laughs> Great. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Um, you follow a handful of British athletes in the early 1920s as they get ready to compete in the 1924 Paris Olympic Games in the sport of track and field. And the, great, great, great movie. But uh, the two, you, two athletes you focus in on most are Eric Little and Harold Abrahams. Both wind up being uh, Olympic champions. Uh, Abrahams in the 100-meter dash, Little in the Open 400. Both great guys, kind of guys you want your kids to emulate. Little went on to be a missionary to China. Amazing individuals. But the best scene is not in the Olympic Games. The best scene of the movie happens prior to uh, they're even you know, being, uh, competing in the Olympics. They're both sprinters, Little and Abrahams, Little from Scotland, Abrahams from England, both undefeated, never lost a sprint, never lost a race. And being competitors, being athletes, they just had to know if there's a race between Little and Abrahams, who's the fastest, who would win. And so they organized this competition, invited the best sprinters from all over Europe to come and compete. On this particular Saturday, this was the sporting event to be at. This was the final four of the Super Bowl. This was a thing to watch. Stadium was full. Came time for the 100-meter dash. They line them up. They fire the gun. It's Eric Little first, Harold Abraham second. Race is over. Track meet's done. Stands are empty. Sitting up in the empty stands is uh, Harold Abrahams and a young lady beside him who he would later marry. And he's looking down at the empty track, and he's replaying this race in his mind over and over again. And every time, it's the same result. Little first, Abraham second. Little first, he's second, and it's driving him nuts because he's never lost. And he's sitting there going through this thing, and the young lady turns to him, asks the rhetorical question, says, Harold, what's the problem? So you lost. You finished second. You know, what, what's, the, what's the big, why the long face? You know, you won all the other races. There's a pause, and he says, I don't run to lose, I run to win. And if I can't win, I won't run. He was, he was thinking about quitting. He just wasn't going to risk it because when you risk it, there is the chance you lose. And failure hurts. It does. We've all been there. And so he was just going to say, I'll just quit. I just won't put it on the line because I can't stand the pain of actually losing. There was another pause, and she said the best line of the whole show, the best message in the whole show. She said, Harold, if you don't run, you can't win. 
And that is so important. And Americans have always understood that. If you're not willing to risk it, if you're not willing to get off the sidelines, get out of the shadows and get in the game, you're never going to accomplish anything that matters. So get in the game and make a difference. And I want to thank you for doing that. That's what we're trying to do. That's what this freshman class did. They didn't have to come here. Probably most of them could make more money and do better things back home with their time, spend more time with their family. But they wanted to do the most important thing, fix their country. And that's our charge now, and that's what RSC is all about doing. And I appreciate the chance to be with you this morning. Thank you.